0: Well thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you today I really appreciate it it's good to be with friends I spent I bring the love and greetings of the churches here in the Midlands and those I'm involved with in Kenya and I just want to say we're so blessed to be joined with you in all that we're doing and in all that we're longing to see in our churches in our cities and in our nation and I'm sure like me, you would believe that this is a pivotal point for all of us. There have been a couple of questions on my mind over the last few months, both driven by the circumstances we're in. And um, the first, uh, since we've been confronted afresh with just how quickly time is passing, the first question on my mind has been, what are the greatest things I could do with my life to fulfil all that God has for me, to die utterly fulfilled and the second question since we've had um, so much time to pause and evaluate what we've been doing and to reconsider how we might want to adjust things for the next season the second question on my mind has been what kind of church brings the greatest pleasure to Jesus and I'd like us to just talk together this morning about greatness what it really means for you and I to be great, what it means for us to spend our lives doing the greatest possible things, what it means for a church to be great, and and what it means for your church, the community church, to be stunningly, brilliantly great. In fact, what it means to be the greatest. And I want to say at the outset that I believe because we're all made in the image of God, then I would say we're all made with an inbuilt, creator-given, creator-given longing and desire to be great and to do great things and for our lives to be an expression of greatness. None of us is designed to be mediocre. No one is here to make up the numbers. Nobody wants to be a nobody. We are all here, as Paul puts it so well, to Run the race so as to finish the race and win the prize. In other words, to make our lives count. It's God's idea, God's great idea that individually and corporately we would be great and be part of something great. So with that in mind, I want to talk about the greatest things. And I want to put into your hands this morning three keys to greatness. Now, you may ask how I can be so confident to do that. Well, it's because Jesus was asked about this on several occasions and gave some really clear answers. So I'd like us to read four short passages, all from Matthew's Gospel. First from Matthew 18, then from Matthew 20, then Matthew 23, and then back to Matthew 22. I'm reading from the Holman translation. So first of all, Matthew 18, verses one to four, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then he called a child to him and had him stand amongst them. I assure you, he said, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then Matthew 20, verses 25 to 27. But Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave and then Matthew 23 verses 11 and 12 Jesus says the greatest among you will be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled whoever humbles himself will be exalted and then Matthew 22 verses 35 to 40 says one of the one of them one of the Pharisees an expert in the law asked a question to test him teacher Which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Luke's version adds, and with all your strength. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So here's what Jesus says about greatness if we want to be the greatest if we want to do the greatest thing things with our lives we must firstly humble ourselves and be a servant secondly love god with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and thirdly love our neighbor as ourselves that's it nothing more complicated there are many other things we can and should do But Jesus says these three are the greatest, to serve with humility, to love God with integrity and to love others with intensity. And of course, all those three things are closely linked together. So he's saying we must we must serve others with humility. I think that means we we must lay aside the need for recognition and reward, for profile, for promotion And adopt the heart and the attitude of a servant. Serving, servanthood is a choice. And it's a choice that sets us free from comparisons, from competition, from jealousy. To be a servant is to align ourselves with Christ. As Paul describes in in Philippians chapter 2, it is to empty ourselves in our case, of our self interest, of our self promotion, of our self centeredness, to empty ourselves, to, to go through the, the many little deaths that others will know very little about, to put others first, to go the extra mile, to sacrifice our preferences, to humble ourselves so that God can use us as He wants. Secondly, Jesus says we must love God with integrity that is with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength all engaged together in loving and worshiping God it means all my all my emotions all my thoughts all my body all my identity focused and dedicated to Christ and his cause it means my life orientated around him it means my my bearings my perspectives my direction taken from him all my decisions and all my choices laid before him and made in full view of him. All my anxieties and fears brought before him and underneath him. All my days lived for him, seeking first his kingdom, loving God with all that I am. And thirdly, the, the command there to love others as we love ourselves or to love with intensity, to love with as much as as much love and as much care and as much attention to others as we give to ourselves and you know when jesus was asked to describe what that looked like he what it looked like to love our neighbors he told the parable of the great samaritan the good samaritan a man who had compassion on a stranger in fact one that would normally have been cons- considered to be an enemy he had compassion on him he was there for him in his time of need. He interrupted his journey for him. He sacrificed his schedule for him. He healed his wounds and lent him his donkey and took care of him and paid his bill for him. To love my neighbour, to love our neighbours is to express love for others in the most practical of ways. And as I said, other other things matter, of course, but Jesus is telling us here that if we want our lives to be satisfied with the greatest things, then these things matter most. Now, why is this so relevant right now? Well, because I believe as the northwest of England emerges from this time, this last year or so of great upheaval and uncertainty, of great fear and anxiety, Of disease and death, of lost jobs and lost opportunities, the Church of Jesus Christ has the greatest ever opportunity to stand up and to stand out and to stand in the gap for others. And it will be our servanthood, our humble service, and our love for God and for others, and especially for our neighbours. Our friends, our colleagues, our workmates, our pals, our people we share our commute with. It will be our love for others that will have the greatest impact. Love opens doors. Love breaks down barriers. Love softens hearts. Love removes suspicion. And I believe it's a it's a time, at this pivotal time, it's time for a tidal wave of servant-hearted love, which will be expressed in thousands of simple, powerful acts of kindness, of generosity, of hospitality. It's time for a tidal wave of love that will speak loudly and bring transformation. And that the greatest things you and I could do for our towns and our cities, our families, our neighbours is to serve them and to love them at this time. I believe in and around Southport you are perfectly positioned to start a tsunami of love from your church from the church into the town into the villages from the community church into the community a tidal wave of love and service. I don't know all that that will look like but I believe it will probably include notes and cards and gifts and and meals offered, and prayers, and offers of help, and acts of service, and initiatives that help the poor, and protect the vulnerable, and dignify the downtrodden. This church is your time, and I believe God's calling us, calling you, calling us up into greatness, and perhaps the greatest prayer that we could be praying at this time every day is, is Lord, show me how I can love my neighbour. Lord, show me how I can love my neighbours. Lord, show me specifically today how I can love this neighbour. Lord, show me how I can love that neighbour, that work colleague, that friend. Lord, show me practically how I can express love, how I can be a good neighbour. Many of us are evaluating how we're doing things and reassessing how we want to do things In the future and what needs adjusting and shifting and changing but nobody is more concerned about his church than Jesus and I've recently been studying the letters that Jesus writes in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 some of you will know the situation there Jesus it says he walks amongst seven churches in the in the province of Asia in modern-day Turkey he walks amongst the churches and he, he observes and he inspects and he evaluates. And then he writes to each one of the letters with his conclusions. And reading those letters is not for the faint hearted. It is vital that we inspect and evaluate things. But, but ultimately only one opinion matters. Only one plumb line is used in the evaluation of the church. It's what Jesus thinks that matters and his conclusions, his evaluations really hit home when we read these letters and especially when we read the very first letter which contains one of the most shocking things in the New Testament. It's the letter to the Ephesians and I just want to read it to you and make some comments on it that I hope will be helpful. This is Revelation 2 verses 1 to 5 and Jesus says to the apostle john who's who's seeing this vision he says write to the angel of the church in ephesus the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks amongst the seven gold lampstands says i know your works your labor and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil i know that you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and you found them to be liars You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here is Jesus's First letter to the largest, the most well-known of the churches in that region. And if you think about it, it's the New Testament church that we know most about. It's in Ephesus, in Acts 18, that Apollos first preaches Christ and meets Aquila and Priscilla. It's in Ephesus, then in Acts chapter 19, that Paul arrives, meets 12 disciples, helps straighten out their foundations, And then stays for two to three years preaching the kingdom and performing extraordinary miracles, Acts 19 tells us. It's because of that that the whole province of Asia hears the word of the Lord. It's it's the elders of the Ephesian church that Paul meets later in Acts chapter 20 and and encourages them to uh, beware of false doctrines and false teachers, it's to Ephesus that he then writes his magnificent epic epistle, the epistle to the Ephesians, in which he, he gives them vast doctrine, vast revelation and truths and doctrinal truths that they can work with. It's, it's an incredible epistle. It's to Ephesus that he later sends Timothy. That's where Timothy is when Paul writes to, the, to Timothy in his first epistle to Timothy. It's in Ephesus that Timothy is based and it's, it's in that letter that he, he instructs Timothy about the elders, presumably because Timothy is there to appoint more elders, and presumably that's because the church has continued to grow. And tradition has it that it's to Ephesus that after uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has passed away, and do uh, you remember Jesus asks John, the apostle John, to look after his mother just before he dies... And tradition has it that after Mary passed away, that John himself went to Ephesus and spent years there. Ephesus has this incredible heritage, so much going for it. But now, some years later, the chief apostle is bringing his evaluation of the church. And he says that despite the the good things, he says, your labour, your works, your endurance, your your non-tolerance of evil your testing of those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be lies you possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and yet I have this against you you have abandoned the love you had at first this church has much to commend it and yet there is one accusation that they've abandoned their first love. And, and, And the word, it means to put away, to send away, to release, to permit to depart their first love. And it matters so much that if they don't change, Jesus says, I'll remove your lampstand. In other words, he will come and he will close them down. He will extinguish their fading light and testimony. You know, even in the epistle to Ephesians Paul had commended them specifically for their love. And they've obviously subsequently taken on board his warnings about false doctrines and false apostles because Jesus commends them for that. But in the process, they've abandoned their first intense, fresh love for God, love for one another and love for the city they lived in, for the lost in their city. And now we find they're in great danger. And it it bears out what we know from elsewhere in the New Testament, that the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says, the gifts of the Spirit are nothing without love. He ends that little section in 1 Corinthians 13 by saying, these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus says, without love, no one will know his disciples in John 13. The greatest commandments are to love God, And to love our neighbours. God is love. And without love a church ceases to represent Jesus. You can only wonder can't you what John would have thought. The the apostle who who makes love right at the heart of his message. When Jesus um, begins to write and to dictate these letters. And the first on the list is Ephesus where John had invested so much of his time. You can only imagine what Paul would have thought if he'd still been alive. But you know, Ephesus couldn't live on its history. Ephesus um, had to be evaluated for the church. It was there and then, and Jesus wasn't evaluating the church as it was back then, and things had slipped. And it just tells me that every generation must build on what's been started. We must continue well, we must finish brilliantly. Now, why am I saying all this? Let me just say, it's not because I'm suggesting for a moment that you've lost your first love. Indeed, your humility, your serving, your love for your community is a provocation to all of us. But I think this message and, and, and what's contained in that letter to the Ephesian church is really helpful to us at this time for a few reasons. And the first is because Jesus is simplifying things for us And I really believe simplicity must be our watchword in this next season we're coming into. It's not that other things don't matter, but he's telling us that what matters most is our love for him, for one another and for those he's put us alongside. Let's not complicate it. We are here to humbly serve others and to love God and to love our neighbours. We are not all great um, theologians. We're not all uh, wonderful prayer warriors. But we can all express love to God, to one another, and especially at this time to our neighbours. It's not complicated to be a church that pleases Jesus and measures up to his mark. And I know you're doing it. I know you'll continue doing it. The second reason I think all this is so relevant is because as we come back into um, into fellowship together, into our gatherings together, into a little bit more of what we would call normal life, we must all make fresh choices and commitments. And uh, I really believe uh, Hebrews 10.25, which says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, Some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, I believe that instruction has never been more relevant. And so I want to encourage you, church, at this time do not let fatigue set in. Don't be tricked into thinking that Zoom is a substitute for gathering together. We must not let pandemic habits live too long. Don't think it doesn't matter whether you're all in or half in, it really matters. Let's come back to worship with greater love for God than ever before. Let's return to fellowship with expressing an expression of deeper love for one another than ever before. And let us continue and may you continue in your mission with humble service and with more love and compassion for your friends than ever more. May you unleash a tidal wave, a tsunami of love, practical love for neighbours, for the city, for the town, for the villages. May you release a tsunami of love from the community church into the community. And lastly, I just want to say I believe these things really matter at this time because every generation must build on what's gone before. You don't need me to tell you that many great men and women have given their lives to see the community church built and many of those who are no longer with us would love to have witnessed what I believe the next two or three years are going to bring. I just want to say I believe it's vital that the present generation take up the mantle of love and service and take your church forward into its best days ever. So I trust this is helpful to you. I thank God for this opportunity this morning to share with the greatest people in Southport. May God bless you in these coming days and weeks, months and years. And may God prosper you in all that you're doing. Bless you. Amen.